We're going to turn to uh, John chapter 8. I got so many things going on today. I, get, I know uh, if anyone was watching me, I looked like a nervous wreck over here, just reaching around trying to make sure I had everything. I got people calling me. I've got people texting me and all kinds of things that's going on. But right now, all right, I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring a message of hope and life to you today. And uh, found here in John chapter 8, one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible, found in John chapter 8, verse number 1. It says this, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, and but the early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. And there was a crowd that soon gathered. He sat down and he taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Today I want to talk to you about experiencing the grace of God. And uh, you say, well, it seems a little unusual because we've been talking about discipleship, okay? Well, our discipleship begins by experiencing the grace of God, okay? Because uh, we're not just a great humanitarian effort, all right? But rather, we're, we're a body of believers. We're the church. The church isn't a building. It's a group of the, the, the body of believers that have been saved by grace, by faith in Jesus Christ. And we come together. And this journey of discipleship begins by knowing Christ, our personal Savior, and by experiencing the grace of God. And I want to talk to you about that today. It starts by being drawn by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit begins to open up our heart and helps us to recognize the reality of God and then leads us to that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Christ, this is not about religion, and I'll talk to you a little bit about religion today, but uh, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about church membership. I am talking about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we've had this encounter with grace, it helps us to accurately see God, and we see the character of God. And then finally, it leads us on a lifetime journey of victorious living. You say, Pastor Bob, if I become a Christian, I'll never have another problem. I didn't say that. But I'll tell you this, that God is with us, and no matter what may come, whether it's a mountain or a valley, or whether it's a sunshine or the storm, that God is always with us, that Christ is able to calm the storms in our life. In John chapter 8, Jesus is out, uh, notice this in John chapter 8, verse 1, 2. He is out about the Father's business, and he had this habit of when he was in Jerusalem, he would go to the temple. It shows us the value of being in God's house. It shows us the value of being with God's people. And when the people begin to assemble, when Jesus got there, these people begin to assemble around Jesus. And he sensed that they were hungry. He sensed that they were searching. So here's what he did. He began to teach them. He began to talk to them. He began to expound to them truths of life and truths of power and truths of victory. He began to talk to them. And in the, notice this, that in the middle of all of the glory and in the middle of all of Jesus' teaching, the devil showed up. The devil is relentless in trying to stop 
the gospel from being preached. And the very first thing I want to talk to you about is this, that the devil will send a revolt to stop revival. All right? He'll try it every time. Because the devil knew that Jesus was teaching, that he was preaching, that he was showing the people the way to eternal life, and he was showing them the way to, to, to holy and righteous living. And the devil didn't like it. And he stopped up. He, he showed up and began to lead a revolt against Jesus. The devil loves to cause confusion in the church. The confusion in churches is not led by a whole bunch of Satan worshipers that's going to come in wearing uh, black robes and burning black candles. Okay. But, but the devil loves to come in and bring all kinds of confusion. And he will use whatever means is possible to stop the devil or stop the gospel from being preached. My friend, the devil would like to bring confusion and chaos into every church that's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he wants to stop that message of hope. The devil would like to get all of us fighting with one another, arguing with one another, bickering with one another, confusing one another, because we injure ourselves, and then more, more importantly, we injure people that are young, and, and maybe they're innocent in the faith, and they're not knowledgeable in the faith, and the devil tries to do whatever he can to bring confusion. And as Jesus was teaching, the Pharisees interrupted Jesus. The Pharisees didn't like it when people gathered around to listen to Jesus, and so they interrupted him to discredit his ministry. They interrupted him trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him and that they could indict him. The devil will use religious people to cause some of the biggest problems in the church because religious people wear this shroud of holiness and righteousness or they, they, they've got this shroud of preferences. I get, I get tired of the ridiculous preferences that we try to say are gospel and we try to say are doctrine, okay? There are people that say this, you've got to sing a certain kind of music or it's not God. You've got to preach from a various interpretation of scripture or various translation. Know this, King James is only a translation, okay? Paul didn't preach from King James Version. It's only a translation. We got to get this. Our preferences. I, I get tired of people saying silly things like, if you're not reading a leather-bound copy of the scripture, you're not reading the Bible. That is a lie of the devil. All right? That's a lie of the devil. And the devil wants to make you believe that lie. Why? To cause confusion and to cause chaos in your life and even to take people that are young in the faith and innocent in the faith and to bring confusion in their life so that they fall by the wayside. He'll, the, the religious people come with their questions. They come with their arguments to hinder the faith. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did. They were coming to bring confusion, trying to confuse the followers of Jesus. I have a friend who is a seasoned minister. What, you say, Pastor Bob, what does seasoned minister mean? That just means the guy's old. No. That means he knows, that means he's, he's well-equipped in the faith, okay? And this fellow is probably, 
this guy right now is probably 85 years old, okay? Uh, just a young man, all right? Very, very wise man. Uh, and so he was a pastor in Waco, Texas, several years ago. I don't know it was the 70s or 80s or something, he told me. And while he was up there, he said he was teaching a Wednesday night series on the book of Revelation, the rapture of the church, okay? And he said, you know what? He said, I was a younger minister then. He said, I'd spend all day long, all Wednesday teaching, or I'd spend all Wednesday studying the book of Revelation. I'm studying the scriptures. I'm getting ready to, to teach the people on Wednesday night. And so he said that particular Wednesday night, he said he's teaching the book of Revelation. I'll be talking about the rapture church or book of Revelation. He was, he was teaching. And in the middle of his lesson, there's a guy that stood up and he said, preacher, you've got it all wrong. He was a young man. There was a visitor to the church. You've got it all wrong. You're preaching a false doctrine. I have had a divine revelation. You see, he was a religious person that came in to bring confusion. And he kept ranting and he kept raving. You know, these are the kind of things that as pastors we hope never happen in our church. <laughs> what are we going to do? I don't know what we're going to do. We're just, you know. So finally they couldn't get the guy settled down. The ushers finally escorted him out and, and asked him to leave the, leave the building and leave the property. And so he left. And the, several years later, uh, the guy was in the news, 1993, his name is David Koresh, maybe you've heard of him, led 76 of his followers to their death. Listen, religious people, some of the, so, so, some of the people that d the devil will try to use are religious people to denounce the truth of God's word, to promote lies of destruction, because the devil tries to send a revolt to stop the revival right in the middle of, of Jesus' revival service. You say, well, all he was doing was preaching, listen, and teaching. When Jesus was talking, I believe it was a revival happening. And the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They set her in front of Jesus and all of his followers. The second thing I want to talk to you about is this, that God will turn a spectacle into a miracle. Get this, the devil specializes in creating spectacles, but God will turn into a miracle. He'll turn into something for his glory. John chapter 8, verse number 3. I've already read 3, but I want to read again. And as he, Jesus, was speaking, the teachers of religious laws and the Pharisee, Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down. He wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again. He wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one beginning from the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and, again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. They brought a, a woman taken in adultery. Now, here's what I find interesting. The law called for not only the woman to be stoned to death, the law called for the man to be charged and stoned to death also. 
But notice this, that the, the man was not charged with adultery. It's very probable that the man had bribed the religious leaders. It is, it is more than likely that he was a prominent man of the community. It, it is more than likely that he was wealthy, Frank. It is more than likely that he was a politician or a religious leader, and he was just too important. So this woman, you know, I, I read this story and got to thinking about it. Uh, this whole thing could have been, this whole plan could have even been premeditated because the Pharisees could have been watching this lady for a long time and this man having an affair. And they said, listen, it's close proximity to the temple. Here's what we're going to do. When the next time they get together, okay, uh, we're going to tell the guy what's up. And the next time they come together, we're going to pull her out. And when we see Jesus, we're going we're gonna, I don't, to, I don't know that. I'm reading between the scriptures. But, but that's how the devil works sometimes in, in premeditating uh, things. And the religious leaders brought her there and they demanded that Jesus order her execution. Here's the problem with religious people. Religious people have a warped sense of God. Religious people, James, they don't understand the grace of God. They don't understand the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. They want to focus on the judgment and the condemnation of God. They want to paint Jesus as the executioner, okay? Now, I'm glad, okay, my friend. I know that there's a lot of horrible things that's happened in America right now that I do not agree with. There's a lot of lifestyle. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of evil that's being called good. I understand that today, but I don't want to go back and live underneath the law, okay? I don't want to go back to that time. I don't, someone says, well, why doesn't God pour out judgment like he did in the Old Testament? Listen, they were living under a time of, of judgment and the law. We're living in a time of grace. Thank, thank God for grace. Thank God for grace. Okay, And there are people today that, that we become impatient with. There are people today that we look at them and we shake our head in disgust. But here's the deal. What they need is they need an encounter with grace. They need healing for their soul. They need, they need to know Jesus as their personal Savior. And I'm praying for individuals today. I'm not just looking and, and shaking my head in disgust today. But we've got to see the, the, the grace of Jesus Christ. We, we've got to have an encounter with, with, with the grace of God. As they talk, notice this. Jesus didn't spend too, too much time paying attention to them. We spend far too much time and attention and listening to and arguing with people, okay? We spend way too much time. We, we spend way too much time worrying about this and worrying about that. We spend too much time worrying about people that disagree with us. You are never going to win an argument. Dale Carnegie said, you'll never win an argument. He said, because when you think you've won the argument, all you've done is lost a friend, Okay? And so it's impossible. Stop arguing with people about things that you don't agree with. You say, well, it's just against the word of God. I, well, it might be, okay? It might be, but stop arguing with them about it. Stop giving up your peace and your attention to bitter, cynical people. 
And there's some people with some little religious spirits that are bitter and cynical. Okay? And it just, my patience just wears thin with them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to love them. I'm not going to argue with them. I'm not going to let them steal my peace. I'm not going to let them steal my joy. The devil is trying to use whatever means he can to cause a spectacle in your life. But here's what Jesus did. He didn't pay much attention. He just stooped down. He started writing the sin. Jesus is God. He knows all. And I believe that Jesus began to write in the sand the secret hidden sins of each and every man. And then he stood up from writing and he said, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And then you know what he did? He stooped down. He started writing some more stuff. And I believe those men began to look at the charges against them. The men began to think about their own life and they began to drop their stones and one by, when, one by one, the scripture says, from the oldest to the youngest, they left. Finally, all the woman's accusers are gone. Jesus turns to the woman. He said, where are your accusers? She said, they're all gone. He says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Here's what this woman found. She found not an executioner in Jesus. She found a merciful, loving Savior. You say, how is that possible? Because Jesus turned the spectacle into a miracle. By his grace, he took her death sentence and he commuted it to life, to eternal life. That's what he did for me. He took the death sentence that was hanging over my head, because the scripture tells me in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I, I didn't deserve the grace of God. I didn't deserve the love of God. I didn't deserve the forgiveness of God. I was sentenced but Jesus took my life sentence, my death sentence, and gave me eternal life. That's what he did. He changed the spectacle into a miracle. He gave her a brand new life. The last thing I want to talk to you about real quick is this. The grace of God will transform you. The grace of God. You say, man, those people, that person, I don't think that person could ever become a Christian. They're just too bad. They're just too mean. They're just too ornery. They drink too much. They cuss too much. They do this. They do that. I don't think, listen, the grace of God will transform people. The grace of, we need to let the grace of God transform people. We need to pray that the grace of God will transform people. This world, woman looking at a death sentence, but grace transformed her. In a moment, she found the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. She had a firsthand experience with the grace of God that changed her. She knew that she was guilty. And really, that's what grace says, okay? Grace says, we're all guilty. We are all guilty. The most, the most holy, religious person in the world, the person that goes to church every time the doors are open, and yet there's sin in their heart, uh, and they've got unconfessed sin. They've never accepted Christ as their personal Savior. Grace says, we're all guilty, but complete mercy is possible for all that are willing to accept today. Listen, it is impossible to accurately know God. You'll never be, if all you've got is a religious spirit, if all you've got is a works-based salvation, you are never going to be effective as a fisher of men and a disciple. We'll never be able to tell others about the love of God 
until we've had this encounter with grace, until we come to this point that we know we're all guilty, but mercy's possible as we accept it. And then we know the grace of God is available to every single one of us as we accept. You will never know the benefits of grace unless you accept it. I'm going to close with a story. I know a man. This is a true story. True story. I know a man who, one of the hardest working men that I've ever met before, who worked for a couple of very wealthy people at their home. He helped them mow their lawn. He helped them do little projects around their house and uh, take care of stuff, fix stuff. And this couple was older. They were much older than he was. And they died. Both about the same time, not quite, but about the same time. They both passed away. And when they died, they left their entire estate to this man. Everything. He wasn't, a, he wasn't a son. I don't think they had any kids. I don't think they had any children. They left their entire, they left their property. They left their money. They left their stocks. They left their bonds. They left everything to this man. And he told me, he said, I went to the lawyer's office to talk about the estate. And he said, they showed me everything that I had inherited. I had inherited everything. He was a very poor man. Lived a very common, simple life. And he said while he was sitting there, the, the attorneys left the office, and out in the hallway, he heard them talking. You know what? That guy don't deserve that inheritance. Why should he get all that inheritance? He don't deserve it. What in the world are they thinking to give all of that to him? He told me, you know what? He said, I heard those words. He said, I left that attorney's office that day. True story. He said, I left that office that day. And he said, I never did take any of that inheritance. He said, oh, they sent me, over the years, they sent me papers showing what my stocks were worth or what the stocks were worth. They sent me papers showing what the money was and this and that. But he said, I never did. He said, because those lawyers said I didn't deserve it. He said, I never did take that inheritance. And he died. He died. Never receiving his inheritance. Lived his whole life in a rented house, which there's nothing wrong with that. But he inherited a house. He inherited money and stocks and bonds, an entire estate of two people that were very wealthy. But he didn't receive it because he bought into the lie of you don't deserve it. You know, today there's people, this world is full of people today, and the devil is saying this, you don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. That woman taken into adultery, if she would have left that encounter with Jesus and left that place, and the devil would have continued to whisper in her, in her head, you don't deserve forgiveness. You don't deserve mercy. And there's a lot of people today. I, I talk to people from, as a pastor, I talk to all kinds of people. I talk to church people a lot of times. And they've told me, I just, I'm just really afraid of dying because I've done so much stuff that's so bad. And I just don't think I can really be forgiven. I just don't know. I got these doubts. Listen, we need to experience the grace and the mercy 
and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that no matter what we've done, there's none of us that's, that, that's worthy. There's none of us, that's, there's none righteous, no, not one. Our own self-righteousness is as filthy rags. So you got to stop listening to that lie of the devil that you don't deserve it. Because of Jesus, you do. You do deserve it. And Christ has called us to be, yes, to save us. To save us, to give us a brand new life, and then also to go beyond that. We go beyond that as disciples. We go beyond that as fishers of men. We go, go, go beyond that in our, in, our, in our work and in our purpose, in our calling. This lady, or this week, there was a lady that messaged me. She said, you know what? I've been listening. She'd been listening on, to the message online. She said, I've been listening online and I begin to think about my own ministry and I'm really not doing anything. I'm, she said, I've been praying. I've been praying for people. I've been doing these, these prayers and this one. And I told her, I said, she said, Pastor, what do you think? What do you think God wants me to do? I told her, I said, hey, I think you got a prayer ministry going. You know, a lot of times we're looking for something big. A lot of times we're looking for something that's, that's, that's just out there where everyone can see it. But right now, there's something that's in our hand. There's something that God has given us a passion for. And we just got to continue to move, on, move forward in that and be used of God in that particular area today. Christ died for us on the cross. All right. God told me one time, he said, my church, I'm not here to bash any church or religion, but I'm just telling you a story. <laughs> God told me, he said, in my church, there's five ways to get to heaven. I said, really? There's five ways to get to heaven, really? Then I got a question for you. Why did God have his son die on the cross? Bobby said, that's a good question. <laughs> that's a good question. Christ died to give us grace, to show us his unmerited favor, to make it possible that through faith we can be saved. He did it today. And let's close with prayer. Let's close with prayer today. If you do not know Christ, your personal Savior, if you're here today or you're online and you're watching, I want you to pray with this prayer with me today. This prayer of salvation. Jesus, I come before you just as I am. My life is an open book. You see me at my best and worst. Today, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you were buried for my sins. I believe, Jesus, that you rose from the grave on the third day. Today I confess my sins unto you. Today I declare that you are my Lord and Savior. Today I give you praise for saving my soul. Help me, Jesus, to grow in you. Help me to understand your word. Teach me your ways. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. Would you stand with us today? We're going to sing a song.